All right, open your Bibles with me to John chapter 4 and Isaiah 42. John 4 and Isaiah 42. Look at verse 23 with me of John 4. The Bible says, Ye worship, ye know not, this is verse 22, Ye worship, ye know not what? We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. And this is Jesus Christ's conversation with the woman at the well. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Let's go to the Lord. Lord, I pray that as we open Your Word today and as we study it, that this passage, these passages that we look at, that they become real to us and that we recognize Your presence with us. In Jesus' name, Amen. I am in constant need of the awareness of God in my life. It's vital that I have that. Here in the text, Jesus says that God is looking for something. Verse 23, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father, what's that word? Seeketh such to worship Him. I think it was Dave McCracken. And how many of you have, have heard Dave McCracken preach? Would you raise your hand? A bunch of you haven't. We've got to get him back. He would ask this question, Are you a such? Are you a such? Are you one of these that, that God is looking for to worship Him? And the answer is yes. It is God's desire that we all worship Him, but we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. What Jesus Christ told the woman at the well, you don't know what you're worshiping. We know what we're worshiping, for salvation is of the Jews. When the Apostle Paul was asked why the, the Jews would be ahead of the other people, he said, because first of all, from them came the oracles of God. God spoke to us through the Jews. The Bible says that the gospel came to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's very important that we get that. Um, it, you, you know that a faith has been turned upside down when it's anti-Semitic. Is that right? If you have a faith that is anti-Jew, you know that is not a biblical faith. The Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The Bible says that blindness in part has happened unto the Jews until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, and then all Israel shall be saved. Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. God is doing a work among the Jewish people that will come to its fruition after the believers are taken out of here. Is that right? And so we need to understand that salvation is of the Jews. That's what Jesus Christ said. But then God is looking for something special. He's looking for worship. And He's looking for worshipers. And it's important that we understand that the height of your worship is in direct proportion to the depth of your knowledge and understanding of God. Right? Uh, think about it this way in a marriage. When you first see that girl, all right? Ladies, I'm sorry to break this to you, but this is what he thought of you the first time he saw you. She's pretty. That's really deep, right? <laughs> that's, that's really deep. 
But what happens is the, the, the more that you are together, the more that you know each other, and the love becomes so much deeper. So much deeper. That's why our marriage must be, it must be based on love for God, love for His Word. Then we know how to love each other. The more I know about God, the better my relationship with my wife will be. But more importantly, and more appropriate to this message, the more I know about God, the deeper and more uh, real my worship will be toward Him. That makes sense? And I think one of the big problems that we have, you know, I'll turn on the Christian radio station and I'll listen to the music, and most of the music is, oh God, help me make it through. I can make it through another day. Help me to be better. Help, you know, life is hard. Really? You got in your car, turned on the air conditioner, went to work, you know, put your food in the microwave. Your, li- your life's really not that hard. Amen. Amen? That's not really worship. Worship is about Him. It's not about us. And so it's really important that we get to know more and more about God. Transcendent, this is a really important statement. Transcendent worship is crippled by shallowness. We have a lot of churches that are a mile wide and an inch deep. You know what I want Grace Baptist Church to be? A mile wide and miles deep. Amen. We don't want to give up on reaching our community, but neither do we want to give up on digging deep and just going as far as we can into the Word of God to understand who He is. Because it's not about building a big church. It's about worshiping Him and allowing God to build the church as He uses us in ministry. Worship. Worship. You know, people have the idea, let's dumb down preaching so that everyone in the room understands it. That's what discipleship is about. Discipleship helps bring people up to the Word of God. We can't take the Word of God down to its lowest common denominator. I like this. Remember when Jesus Christ, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven. One of the problems with modern Christianity is we're wanting to make the church like the earth. Do you know that pagans ought to be uncomfortable in a church service? Why? Because the purpose of the church service is to introduce them to the one true God. And do you know what happens when you see the glory of God? You say, woe is me, for I am undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For I have seen the Lord. That's what a church service is supposed to be. You see, idolatry, idolatry is worshiping a God of your own making. True worship is worshiping the God of the Bible. That's the God that we must worship. So, go with me to 1 John before we go to Isaiah. We looked at this verse the last several weeks. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20. How is your worship? How is your worship? 
1 John 5.20. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. This book is written to believers. All right, look at verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Isn't it interesting? He's not telling pagans to keep themselves from idols. Who's he telling? Believers. Keep yourselves from idols. What are idols? Idols are gods of our own making. So if we're going to worship God, if we're going to have an awareness of the presence of God in our lives, it must be an awareness of the God who is, not the God that we have created or the God that we wish Him to be. When I'm discussing things with um, with lost people or sometimes with Christians who have a, a misunderstanding of who God is, I often find myself saying this. We have to deal with reality. We can't deal with the world as we wish it were. Right? I wish I were 6'4". But I'm not. I'm the perfect height. When we all get to heaven, 5'7". That's going to be it. You're taller, you're going to have to duck. It's just true. It's in the book. Matt, you've got to look it up. It's in there. You look hard enough, you'll find it. Now, it's... So if we're going to... Okay, all right. That's a heaven of my own making. If we are going to worship God, we must worship Him as He is, not as we wish He were. Because if He was a God of our own making, He couldn't be the God that created the universe. He couldn't be the God that gifted you and created you in a very special way. So let's look. Let's look at who this God is. Go to Isaiah chapter 42. And let's see if this is the God that you're worshiping. Isaiah 42. I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and we're going to see something interesting. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect. So this is speaking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. All right? The elect. So if you ever have someone trying to argue with you about who the elect is, well, first of all, the elect is Jesus Christ. Secondly, the elect is the nation of Israel. And thirdly, that's all that it is. That's defined in the Bible, and that might be another sermon. All right. Behold my servant, whom I uphold mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. So what is this saying? This text is dealing with a believer who has been hurt, who has fallen. Jesus doesn't crush those people. He helps them. In other words, we're not supposed to shoot our own wounded. Is that right? So that's what that text is dealing with in relationship to Israel. Look at verse 4. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged. Have you ever felt like you've discouraged your Lord? Can't be done. I love the statement, did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? He doesn't look at you and, if I'd only known Bob was going to do that, I never would have called him. (laughs) That's not the God that we worship, is it? No, no, no. He can't be discouraged. I love that. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set 
judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Let's be introduced to the God that we worship. Thus saith God, the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So right now, the, the God that we worship, the thing that we have to remember, where does He always start? I'm the Creator. Is that right? God says, I am the Creator. And then He gave Israel and the Messiah to the Gentiles as a light to show them the one true God. Then verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory will I not give to another. Listen, we're not here to display our glory. We're here to display His glory. Remember what happened in Ezekiel chapter 28. The Bible says about Lucifer, the light bearer, he said, Thou hast been lifted up in pride because of thine own beauty. He didn't have any beauty. All he did was he was reflecting the glory of God through the universe. And when the angels came and worshipped, he thought they were worshipping him and that he deserved the glory. When he was just a created being there in Ezekiel 28, in the day that thou wast created, the anointed cherub that covers, and he covered the throne of God and reflected the glory of God through the universe. He didn't have beauty. He was reflecting God's beauty. But he was lifted up in pride because of the beauty that God had given him and the beauty that was God in him. And now he had displaced God's glory. And what happened? Thou art to fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Why? Because I, Isaiah 14, I will ascend above the throne of God. I will ascend above the stars. I will be like the Most High. And no, you won't. God will not share His glory with another. What does the Bible tell us? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. I am my own God. People say that. Oprah Winfrey, I am Jesus Christ. Really? Crazy. Isn't that crazy? God says, I will not share my glory with another. Look at verse 9. He also says, Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. So what is the other thing that God's going to do? He's going to tell you the future. The real God, the real God in His Word will tell you things to come. You can't find that in the Book of Mormon. You can't find that in uh, the, the Quran. You can't find it in the Hindu writings, in the Buddhist writings. You can't find it in the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures that Jehovah's Witnesses use. You can only find that kind of prophecy in the Word of God because He is the only God that can tell the future. That's the God that we worship. Who are you worshiping? Now look at this, verse 10. Sing unto the Lord a new song, and His praise from the end of the earth. Ye that go down to the sea, and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof. Let the wilderness and the cities thereof 
lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar doth inhabit. Let the inhabitants of the rock sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory unto the Lord and declare His praises in the islands. The Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, roar. He shall prevail against His enemies. I have long time holding my peace. I have been still and refrained myself. Now will I cry like a travailing woman. I will destroy and devour at once. Wow. Is that the God that you worship? This is the Messiah that's coming back. In the tribulation period, the earth is going to be judged. At the end of the tribulation, He's going to come back and make war. That's what He's speaking of here. And He's going to establish His kingdom. He's going to heal the land. And He's going to judge and rule and reign righteously. That is, that is the, the Lord that we worship. That's who He is. Go to Psalm 139. Proper worship requires that we recognize His presence. That we recognize His presence. This is a very familiar passage, Psalm 139. I think most of us have read it. There might be people in here, this is your favorite passage in the Bible. What we have to make sure of, though, is as we read a text like this, that we understand the God that's being spoken of. It's not Mr. Rogers. It's not Barney. Right? This is the God of the Bible. Look at what it says. Verse 1. O Lord, Thou hast searched me, and known me. Thou hast searched me and known me. This is the God of the universe. Now, the first thing that I want you to see is God is present. Now, let me pull you into where I'm going now. You young people, you're getting ready to go to school. Some of you are getting ready to go to college. Some of you are living at home and you're going to go to college. Some of you are going away and you're going to college. Some of you, you're not going to go to college. You're going to go straight into a career, a vocation. Whatever it is, you need to understand the, the importance of an awareness of the presence of God. Many of you, you're out in the workplace. You're doing your jobs. You're living your lives. And life is going on. Are you aware of the presence of God in your life? If you are unaware of the presence of God in your life at specific moments, then you are not worshiping Him in those moments. Does that make sense? If you are not aware of Him, you are not actively worshiping Him. How many of you understand what I mean there? Is that right? We must have an awareness of the one true God. And let's look at this in this text. The first thing I want you to see is that God is present in your routine. God is present in your routine. Look at verse 2. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. He knows when you sit down. He knows when you get up. He knows when you go to bed. He knows when you get up. He knows what your schedule is. He knows. There's no doubt about that. Now, here's what also what God knows. When you say, I don't have time to read the Bible, I don't have time to pray, I don't have time to worship, God knows what your schedule is. He knows. He knows. Then look at what it says. I love this part. Young people, look at this. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. God is aware of your thought life. God is aware of your thought life. I like the passage in uh, Hebrews chapter 4 we have, uh, that says, The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit 
and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God not only knows your thoughts and intents, but he discerns what's behind those thoughts and intents. The other thing that I want you to see is, look at what it says at the end of verse 2. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Your thought afar off. God is aware of your thoughts before you think them. God's aware of your thoughts before you think them. Have you ever found your mind going somewhere it shouldn't? Yeah, yeah. And again, don't think you've disappointed God because God knew that was coming a long time before you ever had that thought. That's got to be encouraging to you. But it ought to make you aware that you might need to establish some better patterns of thinking. And how are we going to do that? Philippians 2.5. Let, let, let it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Who hath known the mind of God? You know what it then says? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. How? Right here. We have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit of God. We have the mind of Christ. So when the Bible says in verse 2, Thou understandest my thought afar off, God knows our thinking. God can influence our thinking, but He will not impose Himself on your thinking. Why? Because that wouldn't be worship. The Bible says, Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Have you ever considered that when you think a thought, God is right there with you as you think it? Young people, you're thinking, I hate that jerk. Right, God? You too? Isn't that interesting? Every thought that we have, God is right there with us in that thought. Not necessarily agreeing with us, right? But He is present. He's there. He's aware of it. God is present in my thoughts afar off. Another thing on this thoughts afar off, that's your dreams. What do you dream about? What do you want? Jacob wants a Lamborghini Aventador. That better be a dream. He's going to make a whole lot more money than dear old dad. I can tell you that. All right? That's his dream. He'd like to have that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Your dreams. What do you dream about? God knows. Young people, if your dream is to get away from your parents so you don't have to go to church anymore, God knows that. God knows that. I love the story of the young guy that joined the Marine Corps because he was tired of being told what to do. <laughs> is that awesome? That's not Josh, is it, Dave? No, he's okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, do they tell Josh what to do? All the time. He basically has no choices. He does what they tell him to do. Now, it's really important that we get this. God is aware of your dreams. Are you aware that God is aware of your dreams? Are you, uh, this is such a good question. You might want to write this down. Am I including worship of God in my dreams? Is there a place for worship of the one true God in the plans that I am making? See, 
True worship is a constant awareness of the presence of God. He is with me. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. God knows the desire of your heart. He's with you. You're not alone. Then look at what it says. Verse 3. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. I love that word compassest. That is like a compass. He, he completely surrounds you. He knows all about you. God is aware of the course that you are walking in this life. We looked at the passage in the Sunday school hour. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, who walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The Bible says very clearly that every person in the world is walking according to the course of this world. And you know the illustration that we use for that. When you go to Disney World, and who here has been to Disney World? Right? Right? So I'm glad that we take the offering before you go to Disney World because you get your $20 turkey leg. And Okay, now, at Disney World, it's fun to let the kids drive in the cars at Disney World. They, have the, they, they steer it, they have the gas, they have the brake, and they have a blast. And it's perfectly fine for them to do it because they can steer a little bit, but there's a rail underneath them. So they think they're driving, but they're not. Kind of like Laura on the road. They think they're driving, but they're not. Do you know what the world thinks? The world thinks they're doing what they want, but they're not. They're doing what the God of this world, Satan, wants them to do. That's what they're doing. So what the Christian's job is, is to recognize what is the difference between the course of this world and the course that God wants me to be on? Where do they diverge? Where do they separate? And if I continue on the course of this world when God wants me to go in a different way, that is not true worship. So what God does is He understands our weakness and our frailty, and He comes around us, and He wants us to know that He is present with us when we're making those decisions about the direction, the course of our lives. God is with us in that. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful hope that is. You were walking according to the course of this world. You are now able to walk according to God's purpose for your life. He compasses. He surrounds my path. He's all around me. And then I love this. Everybody look at this verse. Verse 3. The end of verse 3. And art acquainted with all my ways. You know that God sees everything about you? He knows everything about you. And He still loves you. You ready for this? He doesn't love you any less. He knows everything about you. Do you know what that means? You can be open with Him. You can worship Him. The Bible talks about with open face. Open. I'm not hiding. I'm open. Why? Because I can't hide from Him. He knows everything about me. That gives me, not only should that bring conviction, saying, oh man, He knows that. Amen? But it also should bring liberty. He still loves me. I can just take it to Him. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. He knows all about you, so quit trying to act spiritual. You know, you're praying. And you pray King James prayers. Oh, Lord, Thou knowest that Thou must help me. When what you're really praying is, God, this guy's killing me. 
I can't stand this guy. I hate my job. My wife is making me crazy. My husband is a buffoon. He knows you're thinking that. He knows. And yet you're going to go to him with some spiritual, Oh, Father, thou knowest that all things are good. Quit trying to act spiritual. Go to God. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what you're feeling and thinking and how you're reasoning. And just lay it all before Him and say, Lord, you're present with me. I want to worship you in this. What is the right decision? Show me how to think on this. He's present. He's present. Then look at what it says in verse 4. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Wow. Thou hast beset me behind and before and hast laid thine hand upon me. That beset behind and before. Here's the, the best way to think about that. How many of you have ever been on a roller coaster? You ever been on a roller coaster? I don't like things like that. I enjoy going fast, but the anticipation of falling off the end, I don't like that. And so, was it Melody that this was your first time on a roller coaster this last time? And it's hard because you're going up that, and what do you hear? Ch-chink, 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 ch-chink. And you're thinking, I hate that sound. You need to be glad that sound is there. (laughs) Because that ch-chink, that's a piece that's coming up and be setting you behind. So you can't go backwards. Thank goodness. Right? There is some good engineering right there. That's necessary. And you ready for this? God had thought of it a long time before the roller coaster designer. What he's doing is he's saying, he's behind me in the path to keep me from falling. He's in front of me on the path to keep me from going too fast. I, I remember I got a, a skateboard when I was a kid, and I was all excited about it. And So there was a hill near my house, and so I decided to ride my skateboard down this hill. I was a genius. So I get I don't even know how to write it. And I'm on this thing. I'm flying down this hill. I got scared. I was going too fast. And so here's my idea. There's a chain link fence right here. I'll just grab the fence. It ripped me open all the way down here. I still got scars from it. Just ripped me open. What happened? I, I was going too fast. I was going too fast. What God does when you're aware of his presence in your life, He'll keep you from going where you're not supposed to go, that course of this world. He compasses your path. But then He'll keep you from going too fast. He'll keep you from going backwards. He's just going to help you. That awareness of His presence, that's all a part of our worship. Is this the perfect thought for you young people right now? Getting ready to go to school, getting ready to choose your career, moving out into the world. That awareness of God, it will protect you from everything. That's what we need in our lives. Then, go on. Not only that, but God is present with me. He's present with me in my routine, but He's also present with me in my running, in my running. Look at what it says. Verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. That's all of that presence in my my routine. Then look at verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? How many of you have known a young person that's tried to run away from God? Where are you going to go? That's what the text is saying. Look at what it says. If I ascend up into heaven, oh, well, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. How about that? You can't run away from God. I'm going to hide in the dark. You can't hide in the dark from God. It reminds me of the story I heard about the kid that robbed the convenience store and was going to run into the woods. Police were chasing him. And he had those shoes that lit up every time he took a step. <laughs> what a moron. It's <laughs> you know, just so stinking funny. But that's the idea of people thinking that they can run away from God. You can't run away from God. Hiding. And I know I've told you this, but I've got to tell it again. It's just so funny. We had these curtains in our house that went to about that far from the ground. And we're playing hide-and-seek with Jacob. You know, he was like 16. And... <laughs> And he went, he, he goes into the room, he says, come find me. And he's hiding. <laughs> How do you not laugh at that? He's standing there like this, and because he can't see us, he thinks we can't see him. And so, of course, we come in, where's Jacob? Where's Jacob? My son's an idiot. Where's Jacob? Jacob loves when I tell that story. I got the same one about myself. I, we took swimming lessons at the Y. I hated swimming. And we had to pass swimming lessons. You had to swim from one end of the pool to the other with your face in the water or underwater or whatever. Well, I didn't want to do that, so I tricked him. I just walked. I put my face down, and I just walked through <laughs> like this. My parents are up in the bleachers, and everybody's look. You can see through the water. And I'm looking, and they're all looking, and I know that my father's thinking, my son's an idiot. <laughs> That's that immature thinking. You think that you can hide, right? And it's silly that we think that we can hide from God. Young people, you cannot hide from God. It doesn't matter how far you run. It doesn't matter how worldly you become. It doesn't matter how far you go in your thinking. God is still there, and the only person you're going to hurt is yourself. He's with me in my running. But I love this right here. I love it. Look at verse 13. Not only is God present in my routine and my running, He's present in my reins. Look at what it says, verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. God possesses your innermost being. He knows about your big nose, your buck teeth. He knows about everything there is about you. He, he made you the way that you are. You do not need an extreme makeover. He created you. He knows you. Very, very well. He knows you. And He loves you. He knows everything about you. Now, of course, this passage is often used for, to, to talk about abortion. And it, it's very appropriate, isn't it? Every one of those children that Planned Parenthood or any of these abortion clinics kills and dismembers, that's a person that was fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And it's murder and it's horrible, and God will judge our country 
for this. And don't be silent on it. Don't let them steal the language. Don't let them steal the language. In the uh, debate when Megyn Kelly asked Marco Rubio about the exception for rape and incest, here's what he should have said. I say save the baby and kill the rapist. Hillary Clinton wants to kill the baby and save the rapist. If you haven't heard the tape of her laughing about defending a rapist and getting him off, you need to listen to it. So much for the war on women. Yeah. You see, we really are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's not just, it's not just the result of biological processes. Because not only does that person become a life, they become a living soul. And that is so much different. Yeah, you can grow a plant, but that plant doesn't have a soul. You cannot create a human being without a soul. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God is presence, present in my reins. Then I love what it says right here. Look at what it says in verse um, 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. You see that? That's that unborn baby, isn't it? And in thy book all my members were written. Those are the members that are being dismembered by Planned Parenthood which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them. Now, there's two ways to look at this text. Number one, God's thoughts of us are great. You know that when God looks at you, He loves you? You know that when God looks at you, he, you know what He says? It is good. I did well. That's what He sees. Now, He doesn't see innate goodness because none of us are good. Is that right? But the way that He created you, the way that your body works, the way that your mind works, it is an amazing thing. God loves you. Now, I wonder, are your thoughts reciprocated? Are His thoughts reciprocated by you? How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! Are His thoughts to you are great? Are your thoughts of Him great? Do you know what we call that? Worship worship. There must be an awareness of His presence. And then this one is so interesting to me. Not only is He present in our routine, He's present in our running, He's present in our reins and our very makeup, but He's also present in our rage, in our rage. Look at what the Bible says. About those thoughts, verse 18, if I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked. Look at the change. It's like David turned into Gollum. Precious. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. Now, why is he mad at them? Because they pulled his ponytail? Why is he mad at them? Look, look at what it says. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies to take thy name in vain. Do you know that when we as Christians stand up as Christians, we're called hateful? You ever experienced that? I had somebody call me that. I said, thank you. I'm glad I'm communicating clearly. And then I showed them this verse. 
Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I want this one on a pillow. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Isn't that interesting? And then everybody knows this next verse. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you know that it's not wrong to hate wickedness? As a matter of fact, it's right. See, we're supposed to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. If we call something righteous that is wicked, that's an abomination. That's the word the Bible uses. Is that right? But if we call something wicked that is righteous, that is also an abomination. So all these people that say that you're not supposed to hate sin, all these people that say that you're not supposed to be hateful in the way that you discuss it, they do not know the Bible, and what they're speaking is an abomination. There are some things that we're supposed to hate. I'm sorry, I cannot speak about abortion in a good way. I can't speak about sodomy in a good way. I can't do it. It's wickedness. I can't speak about rebellious children in a good way. It's an abomination. The Bible says it's as the sin of witchcraft. It's wickedness. A while back, I suggested that we buy all the kids Ouija boards for Christmas one year at Grace Baptist Church. And I said, you're teaching them rebellion. We might as well teach them witchcraft. Isn't that interesting? Parents will allow their children to say no and not deal with it. But they'd never buy them a Ouija board. In the Bible, it's the same thing. Am I exaggerating? Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. That's, exa- that's a direct quote from the Bible. Do you hate that rebellion? I'm not asking if you hate your child. Do you hate that wickedness? If you don't, you need to get on your face before God and repent. See, you can get all worked up about gay marriage. You can get all worked up about abortion. But if you're not going to deal with the rebellion in your own life and the rebellion in your children's life, then that is an abomination as well. That's interesting, isn't it? Because what is abortion? It's a rebellion against God's order. What is homosexuality? It's a rebellion against God's order. What are disobedient children? A rebellion against God's order. What is a non-submissive wife? A rebellion against God's order. What is a non-loving husband? A rebellion against God's order. It is wickedness. We should hate that. Right? So we need to understand that God is present in our rage. What is it that makes you mad? What is it that makes you angry? God is right there with you. We need to understand the presence of God. So God is present in my routine. God's present in my running. God's present in my reins. God's present in my rage. And here's the most important God, important part. God is present in my response to His presence. God is present in my response to His presence. So let's look at those last two verses again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. When's the last time you asked God that question? Search me, oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked thing in me. Now, now can I be encouraging to you? There is. Amen? There is. 
and lead me in the way everlasting. You know what the way is? What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the ends thereof are the ways of death. Death. You see, there's a way everlasting and there's a way of death. The way, of ever, the way everlasting is the one true God, Jesus Christ, our precious Savior. There's another way, and that's my way. I did it my way, all the way to hell. That's the unwritten verse. Isn't it interesting? We're all the same. We're all the same. We want to do it our way. God says, I know you do, but worship me. If you'll worship me, if you worship me, if you're mine, if you come before me and you bow before me and say, Lord, you call on the name of the Lord and he saves you. You place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. Do you know what happens? He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that wonderful? He'll just be with you. And do you know what worship is? Worship is an acknowledgement, a continual and constant acknowledgement of His presence. He's just with you. What did Jesus say in John chapter 4? The Father seeketh such to worship Him. Are you a such today? Are you a worshiper? Are you a Sunday worshiper? Or are you a constant worshiper? Which one do you think Jesus wants you to be? Is the one that you're worshiping the God of the Bible or God of your own making? And then, are you running from God right now? If you are, good luck. Where are you going to go? Let's pray. Heavenly Father.